Hello and welcome back to Shout Scratch. You're listening to episode 64, Medical Jargon 101. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. Today I'm very excited to be joined by our regular panellists, Nikki and Kyoto. Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me, Pat. I'm Nikki. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Manchester. Great to have you back. And Kyoto. My name is Kyoto. I am a final year medical student at the University of Dundee, which is the sunnier city in Scotland. Um, as you guys have probably already heard, um, it's really sunny today. I had to close my curtains because it was so sunny. I couldn't see in my room. So yeah, go Dundee. <laughs> Woo. I'm glad to have you with us today. And I'm also delighted to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Ashley Reese. Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, thanks for having me. My name's Ashley Reese. I'm a paediatrician, I'm a consultant. Uh, I work uh, at Watford General Hospital, Northwest Hertfordshire Hospitals. It's sunny here too. Um, as well as uh, looking after children in my day job, I'm also the Director of Medical Education uh, here at the hospital and uh, have, a, have an interest in education, teaching, learning. Uh, it's great to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So today I thought we could talk a little bit about medical jargon and acronyms that we use in medicine. At med school, we have communication skill sessions, and obviously it's a fundamental skill to have, as it's vital to communicate effectively with your colleagues as well as with patients. Yet the language that we use sometimes may come across as codes, and patients will have to go ahead and decipher them. And jargon and acronyms are so ubiquitous in medicine. Um, when I was doing research for this episode, apparently med students learn more words than students on the language course do. So panelists, what are some jargon or acronyms that you've come across that particularly stuck in your mind? Sorry, that's mad that we learn more words than language students. I don't think yeah. I know more words than language students. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> when like thinking of things for this episode, I was thinking mm-hmm. that I probably don't know as many medical jargon words, which is probably why I end up using more colloquial language with patients because I probably mm. haven't learned the words properly myself. But one thing that me and my friends were talking about yesterday, which um, I thought was quite relevant for this episode, was when you're presenting a patient in like at the bedside and they've got symptoms that we might we might say are kind of offensive to describe them as or something like someone who's um someone who's overweight we'd be like oh the patient has increased body habitus Mm. or other symptoms that people might find offensive like moon face or buffalo Mm. hump and things like that just like say how you say those in front of a patient it's really hard isn't it and i think you said something quite interesting at the beginning that you don't know many of these um, uh, abbreviations or jargon, so you tend to talk in more usual language. And I think that's probably mm-hmm. the best frame in which to think about this, because uh, when, we're, when we are talking with patients and explaining things, we do have to use uh, the right terminology and phraseology. Of course, many of my patients, obviously, I have to you know, do, it, do it one person removed because I'm dealing with the parents of the children. Um, and uh, you know, f- for us, I think it, 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 it's somewhat... Um, less challenging because they are you know younger people and uh, they uh, are, are understanding and i think when you're dealing with uh, an older population obviously the words that you use and the phrases that you use need, you need to be more careful there yeah definitely um but do you think that like medicine is a 
kind of ha- um, cultivates that culture to use jargon. So yeah, going back to your example, Nikki, I was presenting a patient who just came um, came in with some abdo pain, and I just used the words that the patient used, like um, the patient's coming with pain on the right hand side, and then the consultant just said that. Um, you are a medical student training to become a doctor. You should use doctor words. You went to med school for a reason. Um, you just say um, tenderness on the right flank instead of you know pain in the right side of your tummy, for example. Like I sort of get it in a way because so my mom's an English teacher, so I I think I've been just been brought up around words, and <laughs> anyone who's been around me long enough will always say, "Oh, words mean things." Um, so. I like to be very, very, very specific in the words that I'm using to make sure that you can't interpret what I'm saying in any other way. So I do, I do sort of get the reasoning behind making a big deal out of you, like using saying right flank rather than right side. But at the same time, I feel like there are some situations where the more colloquial version is still very quite clearly the same as the medical i'm doing air quotes sorry anna a medical <laughs> version as well so like i don't know yeah I'm, I'm way i'm way too junior in my career to know for certain anyway yeah i guess mm. it depends on if the words are, to, are specified for accuracy and whether that makes it a better like way to communicate that problem or if we're just kind of gatekeeping medicine and not letting patients understand as much as we do because of a kind of hierarchy thing or because of like this doctor patient divide. Well, if that's yeah. the case, I think we must stop immediately. And Exactly. <laughs> you made an important point in, in your opening about the words and phrases we use in front of patients. And that's because obviously we don't want to use language that may upset, concern mm. or distress them, particularly where that's not necessary. So yes, I full remember standing by the side of, 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 a, of, a, of a patient around the bedside uh, being taught by one of my uh, senior colleagues and uh, you know having to work out ways to describe some of the differential diagnoses for the presentation that would not upset concern um, or worry them um, and um, there's there is a famous scene in in an old medical drama uh, called doctor in the house um, and the surgeon is is teaching his students around the bedside um, and they're talking in jargonistic terms and, and using all language that maybe lay people would not quite understand and some of it sounds quite worrying um, and he just turns to the patient and says don't worry about this my man none of this concerns you um, and I think we've moved on quite away uh, from that um, and we are now very much more uh, both paternal and maternalistic to our patients and you know it's really important that we bring them on our the their health journey uh, you know we, we come along on that health journey with them uh, and we take them to where they need to go. And there's quite a lot of work done. Some of it not, not that recently, going back you know, a number of years, 2014, 2018. You know, campaigns to um, encourage doctors to write clinic letters to patients, for example. Um, but, but you're right in, in what you've said. It, 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 it's born out of a, uh, a sort of arcane, uh, older world where uh, the doctor uh, does have um, you know, a, a hierarchical status. Uh, and uh, and it was essentially some sort of closed club. Uh, but I hope those uh, hierarchies are flatter these days and that the barriers are broken down um, and that we can uh, communicate effectively, carefully and compassionately with our patients using terminology that they understand. Like when, when you were just talking there, I was just thinking, because um, I've 
actually seen Doctor in the House, which I don't know if that makes me cool or, <laughs> <laughs> or not. But um, but I I was just like think comparing like I think it was like sixties or whatever fifties sixties when it was first when it first came out. Um, comparing that to current day where like patients do have access to the internet, so they do look up their symptoms, they do look up all these different things. So is the knowledge gap as big as we think it is i don't know um obviously there will be cases where people are misinterpreting things that they are reading on reading online because they may not necessarily have the full background knowledge so i think people who are stuck in their ways may be trying to gatekeep but i don't know if how successful they would be currently in, in the current information age it's also about how we communicate with each other, isn't it? So mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the issues around, uh, you know, uh, talking talk, talk, talk in appropriate language and using appropriate terminology and phrases to our patients is really important. But there is a, um, a code, if you like, a way that we, we talk to each other. Um, and that has evolved over time, probably to uh, cut a few corners, to save a bit of time. Um, and... Um, Again, I, I would challenge it. I really would challenge it. I mean, I've seen a number of letters from uh, you know more specialist uh, doctors uh, th th than I about very complex um, assessments and management they've made on patients I've sent them, and I can't understand it because it's written in a lot of jargon and it's got a lot of abbreviations in it. Um, and I and and, and it, it, I think it's important to be sure that that what you're writing and what you're communicating, whether it's to your colleagues or your, or your patients, is understandable. Um, and I don't think anyone forgive you for explaining big terms. Um, yes, you want at times to sound professional and sound like a doctor, but that doesn't mean that you should be unintelligible. No, definitely. And I think, as you said, we use jargon between colleagues as well. Um, so that was this one time I was on placement with a fellow med student on a ward round and the F1 asked my placement buddy to get the cow over and my placement buddy <laughs> just looked at me and whispered like, who is the F1 talking about? And because I listened to a previous Shop Scratch episode, Confusion I know that cow wheels. means computer and wheels. Yeah, so I think and that's exactly what the F1 was referring to, not a person. So I think sometimes these acronyms could lead to quite embarrassing situations if you don't know what that's it means. So funny. It can also yeah. feel really embarrassing to ask what something means, especially mm. if everyone else just kind of nods and carries on and you're kind of like <laughs> Googling what this means on a wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> just try to keep up. Uh, the, the bottom line is try not to use those abbreviations and acronyms. I mean, it's a really interesting area because, um, uh, you know, abbreviations are all over English and, and, and other languages. Um, and I, I think that uh, the way medicine's evolved, we also have these other uh, shortened forms, uh, which are forms of abbreviation like an acronym. Um, and, 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 and I think w we use these, you know, just without thinking, really, and we, pe people really should understand uh, what what we're using. So, you know, uh, the cow is a, is a true acronym because it's a word that's made up of the initials of the thing that you're actually talking about, computer on wheels. Uh, whereas you can have, uh, you know, um, uh, in initial initialisms that would uh, be the initials of the word. So DNA, for example, that doesn't necessarily spell a word. Um, and these are littered all the way through uh, medicine and are used all the time yeah like my i think i think my my favorite one is the bm machine mm. <laughs> and 
and for ages i was really confused i was i was like what why, why is the glucose monitor called a BM machine? Like, why is it? And then, like, many, many months after I first heard this term being used, I realized that BM was like a manufacturer that a lot of people <laughs> used back in the day. And that name is just, yeah, it's just stuck. I genuinely thought BM was like blood monitoring, maybe. I yeah, don't know. I think uh, I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> You've taught me something today. <laughs> so that, that's like my f- favorite thing. That's a classic Super. example, but you'll 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 you know you. I think different specialties also have their own, you know, niche um, uh, acronyms and abbreviations mm-hmm. that they use. I mean, my colleagues on, on the neonatal unit, I, I've spent a fair significant amount of my time and training and, and uh, early years as a consultant covering our special care baby and neonatal unit, and the number of acronyms, three-letter acronyms particularly, and abbreviations up there. Uh, they just abound. You know, babies are admitted with TTN. Uh, they may uh, develop RDS uh, and then get uh, BPD. Uh, unfortunately, some of them... Slowly, all of our faces have, got, have gone really lost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I understood two out of three, so I'm <laughs> proud of myself. You're winning. I mean, I could go on and on, but, the, the, you know, the, it, it, it is a code, and it is <laughs> in that environment understandable. Uh, but you're right, when we have, uh, you know, l- learners in the group and we have doctors who are new to the specialty, and, and in many specialties we have doctors passing through our colleagues in GP training, you know, spend uh, some months in various specialties and, and sometimes they don't, they're not around long enough to, to pick up the jargon and the lingo. So it's really important. There's obviously potentially an underlying, you know, patient safety if you have peop- issue if people don't understand, you know, uh, on the maternity unit, uh, IVF could be in vitro fertilization, but it could equally be um, intravenous fluid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the context is all, I think. Yeah, I've seen the IVF one um, as IV fluids. And my new favorite one is LFT. LFTs, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we LFT usually refers to liver function test, but now apparently it's lateral flow test. So I find that quite confusing sometimes. Yeah. 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 Join the league. Don't use acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then there's no mistake. Just call them Latty flows instead. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but the, other, the other interesting thing is how we use phrases and the terminology we use as doctors. So we often talk about diseases, conditions, or, or being chronic. Um, and for many patients, um, they, they would see uh, chronic as very, very bad. It, it's a chronic condition. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we might see it as a long-term condition. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so you can have chronic renal failure, but actually, you know, be, be very well and functional and not necessarily need any supportive treatment uh, for that. Um, but actually, the patient may feel that they've got the worst renal disease because it's labelled chronic. I guess it does play into like that idea that doctor as a teacher, because I, I do think um, quite often when people see hear like doctor as a teacher talk about that specific domain, they're thinking, oh yeah, teaching junior colleagues and teaching medical students. But... One of, th- one of the things that really attracted me to medicine is because I thought I would get to teach people about their conditions and how to mm. manage their conditions. And Ashley, you don't know this, but I used to work in school. So I used to be a TA. And like working with children in particular, you need to be very, very clear and very, very specific in um, what you're saying to make sure it can't be misunderstood in any other way. And fair enough. Um, as medical practitioners, we have our own sort of language that we use to communicate with each other, but we need to ensure that we're translating that properly and appropriately to the language that our patients are using, not just what we what we normally say in our day-to-day lives as a medical practitioner. 
totally, totally agree with that. The TA I think you're referring to is, is teaching assistant. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> just creeps in when you're not thinking about it. Um, and, and I absolutely 100% identify with what you say because obviously as a children's doctor, as a pediatrician, you know, look after the children and young people, I've got to be really careful with my words um, if I'm mm. talking to, you know, younger children and obviously some older children as well. Um, I, I, you know, we, 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 we don't want to talk down to older children uh, and we, we certainly don't uh, want to over talk over younger children. So it's, 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 it is a challenging uh, way, way to do it and, and the terminology and the phrases and the things that you say um, you know do resonate with people and they do remember some of the words um, that you say um, I, you know you, you've really got to be careful um, but Cody you make another really interesting point as well and uh, you may, may well be aware, aware of this but the word doctor itself comes from the Latin uh, docere uh, I believe which actually is a word that means to teach so um, it's in our very core <laughs> name um, and it comes from days of old where doctors were seen as very learned people uh, and uh, very well regarded and respected people uh, often uh, from, a, from a religious uh, standpoint and it's, be, it's evolved over time to, to, to into the uh, medical practitioner that we use it for today in the main. Awesome. Well, we'll discuss a little bit more about medical jargon, but that'll be right after this. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. So jargon refers to special words used by a profession or a group that are difficult for others to understand. So why, but why do we use language that our patients or our colleagues find difficult to understand do you think there are like pros and cons to using jargon and acronyms well one, <coughs> one of the things I, I it's clearly done over time has allowed us to communicate probably at speed um, we're also in a, in a in a in a in an unusual time at the moment where a lot of particularly acute care is being given you know behind a mask um, and communication mm. is is really hampered uh, by that uh, and if you add a visor as well and then if you add any any hearing loss either with the patient or with with your colleagues um, then you know it becomes a really difficult environment and the potential for safety uh, you know patient safety uh, becomes uh, an issue so uh, I think saying things long way explaining things trying not to use those uh, abbreviations clarifying numbers that are being uh, called out so that people really understand and know what's being said. I think they're really important at this time. Yeah, I, I think I would have to agree with Ashley because I'm just thinking, um, 
because I do um, bank shifts on as a healthcare support worker. No acronym. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm just always going on to very, very different wards with like whether it's a medical ward, surgical ward. I don't really care. I just go where it's available on the Sunday because it's better pay. <laughs> but in any case, you come into the ward and in the handover, people are just saying words just really, really quickly and you're just a bit lost and you're not really understanding what's going on. And I think it's okay if we worked in very, very closed teams and we were working with the same people over Mm. and over again and that's it. But we're not. We're working with different people all the time. Mm. So unless you can guarantee that everyone within that team has been there for five years and you know that if Tim winks three times, he (laughs) means I need you to go get me a five mil (laughs) syringe. Then maybe, mayhaps, perhaps, um, we should... (laughs) maybe be saying things in full so everyone Mm, understands what's going on or say things in agreed terminology across the entire medical slash surgical workforce. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm. I think I was going to say something quite similar in that if it was a universally known set of abbreviations or things like that, then that probably would save time. But if every time Mm. someone uses an abbreviation, you're going to have to go and look it up and try and remember it for next time and then probably look it up again, you're probably not actually saving that much time (laughs) overall. You could create the, uh, you know, the the, the, uh, accepted uh, NHS, uh, you know, jargon uh, buster that is uh, is standard across you know what after all is a national uh, health service you know so that everyone knew the same terminology meant the same things because there are some slight uh, tweaks and colloquialisms aren't, aren't there people people mm. use slight different versions uh, where they are um, and just as you're talking obviously the, one of the other things is about uh, working around the hospital I mean you, you, you you've probably spent you know quite a bit of time around the hospital probably know your way around the hospital and if you're stopped by a uh, a, a patient or a visitor asking for a particular department, um, say cardiology, you'd know where to send them, uh, and you'd know what w- what would be wrong wrong with them. Um, I, I hope I'm, I'm hearing some some, some <laughs> slightly you know, uh, nervous nervous giggles um, and nervous looks down the uh, microphone. But um, it's it's an important point that um, some of the labelling in hospitals is not friendly to people that don't actually understand those terms so cardiology mm-hmm. why isn't it called the heart department so people understand what goes on there and they can find it x-ray mm-hmm. also you know uh, somebody uh, uh, didn't get their x-ray at the hospital because they couldn't find it they didn't know that it was at radiology so i don't generally do orthopedics but this is um you know doctors who look after people's bones uh, but i i i i I know you you knew that one, but um, I, you know, thinking about break and fracture, um, one of my family members, um, you know, had an injury to their arm that was described uh, as a break, um, and everyone in the family thought that was much worse than a fracture potentially, Um, and and you know, so you know, even some of the uh, obvious English words have been, you know, misattributed or uh, used. Um, wrongly maybe over time and have become perpetuated in myth as something that that is untrue. Yeah, as you said that, um, what you could describe a fracture as a break in the bone. Um, I think in medicine sometimes we use euphemisms as well, like um, like a tumour could be described as, I don't know, a, a mass on x-ray or like a shadow on x-ray. Do you think sometimes like euphemisms could be used to soften the blow of certain conditions? 
they they certainly are um but you've got to be really really careful um and you know that there are examples of uh, in the unfortunate situation where where a patient has died and relatives have been told you know that unfortunately we've lost your uh you know husband um and that's mm. been uh, heard as well you know can you find him then where where's he gone you know i, I think you've got to be really really careful with with what you're using that the words you use to describe you know a, a tumor you know in 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 that context yes they can be used as as, as softening um but it, I, I think it's really important that if we're using those words that we actually do then use that to introduce the word that we want the patient to remember and hear because it's a really important message uh in that situation if you're giving a diagnosis i mean there's a significant amount written about breaking bad news and how to do it um, and, and, and mm. saying you know enough and being direct about what it is that you're saying in a way that is understandable to the patient you know chunking what you say saying it in, in shorter sentences stopping and checking that they understand you um, sometimes a prop like a picture like an x-ray can help so mm. people can visualize that uh, but we know when, when patients and in my world when parents leave the room after a consultation, they, they they often don't remember a lot of what's been said. So, um, and uh, I did listen to a podcast on this, uh, which uh, was really quite interesting when they were working out what the best words were to use for we and poo, for example, mm. um, and what would be acceptable. Um, obviously, as a paediatrician, I, I talk about we and poo a lot, uh, so uh, that, that's fine for me. But yeah, from an adult perspective, what is the right terminology uh, about that? Um, I, I was once asked in a, in a, in a situation uh, uh, where I had uh, uh, tummy bug, shall we say, uh, to produce a sample of stool. And I'd, I was uh, in my younger days and I'd never heard uh, it called that before. So, um, so you know, I'd missed out on that, that lesson uh, whenever it was given. Um, so that was somewhat before medical school, but it wasn't even something colloquially that... Uh, I'd heard anyone say, for mm. example. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. It just made me think of a story. One of my friends was taking a history from a patient and used the term waterworks to mm. um, ask someone about their bad. And they, the patient thought they, they'd asked how often they'd cried that yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that is what really worries me because obviously I'm studying in Dundee at the moment mm. and I've lived in Dundee for the last, oh my God, <laughs> seven years. Wow, um, <laughs> old. Um, but I'm hoping, knock on wood, to go back down south for F1. And I'm mm. just a bit concerned about how I'm going to talk to patients because I do every so often come with a random Scottishism or ran random Dondonian words, even when I'm just talking to my friends. And everyone just looks at me like, are you okay? So. <laughs> Like one, one, one of my favorites is in Dundee, a uh, roundabout is known as a circle, right? Mm. And <laughs> if I, so if I, if, if, I, if I'm just giving directions to someone who is not from Dundee and I say, oh yeah, at the circle, take the second exit, they'll just look at me weird like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? So I, I, I am a bit concerned that even in trying to translate things to mm -hmm. so the way I've been taught in medical school to translate things to like the average Dondonian <laughs> is going to be very different to um, how I speak to patients down south. And even mm -hmm. um, I was in London a few weeks ago and 
I've come to realize I do this thing when I'm trying to be more clear and more professional. I go a bit more Scottish and <laughs> to make myself really more safe, really clear. And my friends would look at me like, when I was ordering food and it was like, why are you so Scottish, bro? What, the, what, what is going on with you? But it's just the way I've learned how to communicate really clearly. Because yeah. I've always mm. thought, oh yeah, I, I'm from the South. Received pronunciation. Everyone understands me. They don't, right? <laughs> so I've had to adapt and become more Scottish. But now I'm really worried about going back down South, down south. and trying to become un-Scottish now. <laughs> You'll adapt yeah. so quickly though. Yeah. You'll pick things up. I don't up. know. You I'm will. really, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I might start talking about waterworks and windies <laughs> and pears, but meaning pies. There are, uh, there are different uh, regional um, nuances to how people talk about care. Um, so I, I uh, studied in Leeds and um, although I was from the other side of the Pennines, uh, moving there gave me a number of different, uh, you know, terminologies and phraseologies, you know, um, they, 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 in Leeds they say that somebody text fits, you know, when they have a, a seizure and that sort of thing. So you do have to get used to that mm. terminology. Um, but also I think, you know, the, it's not just about regional uh, nuances. It's also about the words that patients use to describe their symptoms. So the waterworks is a good example, but that's um, not a medical word. Um, in, in, in paediatrics, many parents will say, oh, my, my child was wheezing. And um, mm. I've come to learn over time now that I need to clarify exactly what a parent means when they tell me that their child is wheezing. So um, I have a, a, an impression of wheeze that I can do, which is a high-pitched whistly noise. So I say, well, is it like this? Um, and, and then do that impression. Or does it sound like this, where I do an impression of sort of upper airway rattly noise that, that some children get with, a, with an upper respiratory... So are you going to do the impression? Oh, please. Perfect. Yeah. Podcast is a perfect time to do it. Uh, of course, with, with, with pleasure. So the, the impression of wheeze would be something like this, <laughs> which is a high-pitched whistly noise. So I make that noise with my throat, but the noise from the child would be generally from the chest and often isn't heard with a, without a stethoscope, but, but, but maybe sometimes. And the sort of rapper <laughs> is the, what I would call snot and grot. Um, whereby you, you know, there's some upper airway um, secretions that are difficult to clear. Um, and often doing that, I can clarify with the parents what exactly they're hearing. Because if this child has wheeze, it may mean something different to if they have upper mm -hmm. airway noise. And again, these days, it's becoming much easier because a lot of parents will have a, a bit of video or audio on their phone that they can show me. Um, and that helps a lot when you're trying to clarify exactly what it is uh, that... Um, that parents are describing. It's good that now that I know what's the difference between a wheeze <laughs> and just some phlegm in the throat. Well, you'll be glad you came. Um, the other yeah. thing <laughs> I'm thinking as, as, as we're talking here is also, um, you know, those those patients or parents who who's maybe have a, a, speak other languages and maybe English isn't their, their first mm. language, um, our communication there really has to be very, very careful um, mm -hmm. and, and often takes a bit longer so that, that they can, you know, really understand what it is that, that, that we're telling them. Um, and they may have their own, again, you know, obviously different regions of the UK and different countries of the world will have their own, you know, regional colloquialisms, jargons and ways of thinking about things that sometimes we do need to take time to understand. Well, we'll continue discussing medical jargon, but that'll be right after this. As you take on additional responsibility for your patient's care, 
UpToDate can be your trusted personal medical consultant. UpToDate is an online, continuously updated clinical decision support resource used by doctors, medical students and doctors in training worldwide to access current, evidence-based information at the point of care. Doctors at all levels of experience rely on UpToDate for trusted answers to their clinical questions. See how UpToDate can benefit your training and subscribe today by visiting go.uptodate.com sharp. That's go.uptodate.com sharp and use promo code SHARP to save $25 US on your annual or longer subscription. Some of life's most important questions are about health. And when people think about healthcare, they think about doctors, scans, tests and treatments. At Siemens Health & Ears, we think about those too. With about 70% of clinical decisions based on laboratory test results, Staying on top of the latest advances in clinical chemistry is essential to providing the best care. This November, Siemens Health & Ears has free online educational sessions to help you learn about relevant advances in clinical diagnostics. Register for free today to explore sessions featuring new research and innovations in cardiac care, blood diseases and AI, and create an agenda for live streaming events. Visit siemens-healthandears.com slash euromedlab or Google Siemens Health and Ears Euromedlab. We pioneer breakthroughs in healthcare for everyone, everywhere. Okay, back to the show. So jargon is not a new topic in medicine and it's something that some doctors find frustrating. So I spoke with a GP who reflected on this so we can have a listen to a clip from Dr. Simon Hodes. At times I will get letters myself or get emails where I don't understand what these abbreviations mean. And I'm not shy to write back to specialists and say, can you please, you know, translate this letter, making it quite clear that as somebody that you know, has been working as a GP for over 20 years, usually having passed that letter round my colleagues and I work in a large group practice with 30,000 patients and 15 partners, if none of my colleagues understand what that abbreviation means, how on earth is the patient meant to know? There are some acronyms which we have to be very careful with. Um, a good example is SOB, which many of us recognise as shortness of breath, but there have been actual formal complaints to doctors where Patients have asked to read their medical notes and the doctor's written down saying the patient came in SOB. And obviously this may also mean something else, for example, son of a bitch. So if a patient misinterprets reading their medical notes and doesn't understand these abbreviations, it can, of course, lead to problems. So although that's a slightly um, silly uh, example, it is a serious one and some medical institutions will insist on no abbreviations being used. Um, the other point I might like to make is um, the idea of speaking in Latin. Now, Latin is something that we use and learn a lot at medical school. It's very useful. However, once again, it can be very jargonese for patients. You'll soon learn at medical school that itis means inflammation. Ectomy is removal of something. Um, so, for example, appendicitis is a swollen or inflamed appendix, and appendicectomy is removal of that. Again, if you were having a discharge summary from hospital, would you expect to write down patient came in with an inflamed appendix and had their appendix removed through a keyhole surgery, 
or would you want to read patient came in with appendicitis and had a laparoscopic appendicectomy again two versions of the same discharge summary but very different so we need to think carefully about how our patients understand uh, and and uh, relate to the, the medical jargon that we use Well, Simon and I are, 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 are old muckers and we, we, we hail from the same area of Manchester and we ended up uh, living not far away from each other and actually work uh, also uh, in the same city. So he's uh, a, a valued uh, friend and colleague and uh, by a fluke of nature, you found us both for this podcast. But the, the acronym Buster is, is, is his development and uh, we, we, we chew this over often. Uh, you know, uh, over a glass of Ribena. And, you know, on that basis, um, you know, we, 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 we actually, it's interesting because we, we, you know, I sit in my hospital and he sits in his GP surgery and, you know, we do come at it from, from different ends. Uh, but the sort of common element, of course, for us is the, is the GP letter uh, that I would write after seeing a patient and the referral letter that, uh, that a GP would write for me to, 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 to see a patient of theirs. Um, and the way I think medicine's evolved over time is it, it, it's, got, it's somewhat perverse that, um, you know, I write the letter I need to them and, and they like the letter, write the letter they need to me. And what I should do is write the referral letter to me because I know what I need to know about the referral. Uh, and then the GP should write the GP clinic letter back to them because they know what needs to be in the clinic letter. And uh, that's something that one of my colleagues has been uh, purporting for, for, for quite a few years and, and hat tilt to him for that um but it's 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 true i mean simon's you know nailed it on, on a number of levels and uh you know we've identified some of those uh things today um and i think we need to be you know really really careful um yeah i've been i've been um helping with discharge letters since i've been on placements because i'm that annoying keen bean. <laughs> um yeah I, I i find discharge letters funny in a way because I, I I always ask well who is it for because um, I think historically the discharge letters have been for the GP so I guess it does make sense to have all those um, medical terminology so in that clip that we heard Simon was talking about like append ap um, appendicitis and appendectomies and laparotomy and I think if it is going to a GP I think it makes sense for the medical terminology to be used in that respect but then at the moment there is a big push for the discharge letters to be sent to patients as well so in the case of the appendectomy i don't i don't, I don't think this is that situation but I, I, I but i do think that there are some procedures where you do to be very very explicit in what you're saying you do sort of need to use that medical terminology but then it would mean writing a separate letter for the patients yeah. and for the gp and i don't i don't want to do that i'm lazy um, <laughs> <laughs> just being completely honest here i i i i don't want to um yeah it, that that's that's a lot of extra effort for already short-staffed workforce yeah. I, so I guess use simple English where possible, unless you ca it can't be explained in any other way than go for the specific medical jargon and terminology. Because yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I always have this in my head: litigation. Litigation is. I, I feel like it's it's the next big thing in UK medicine, and 
it's been drilled into me, documents, 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 and make sure you're very, very clear and specific in what you're saying has happened. I think you made but- a really, really important point there about like, with my kind of editorial hat on, what, who is the audience? And I know Pat, you'll be thinking about this a lot in terms of like the pieces that you're handling and stuff at the moment, in terms of the language that people use and who the audience is for a piece at the BMJ or a letter that you're writing as a doctor. Um, and I think, yeah, you're right. If if we are copying patients into letters, we do need to be mindful of the language that we're using and whether that's using the medical term followed by brackets and what that actually means. Maybe that's the best way forward rather than having two separate versions of each letter. I think oh. explaining the medical words rather than using brackets is probably more acceptable. But I think you, you're both absolutely right. And actually, in my time as a consultant, which is over 15 years now, I've always copied my GP letter back to the parents as well and I write mm-hmm. that letter knowing the parents are reading it so it, it, I could yeah. probably make a simple switch and send it to the parents and copy the GP uh, there's still this professional sort of respect and uh, maybe some of it's uh, arcane and maybe um, it, it's a bit old-fashioned now that we do write back to the GP because they're the ones that did refer us or, or, or another doctor um, but but I think the world's moved on and it's you know it's 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 uh, about the patient uh, and so it really should uh, go to them. And at 2018, the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges uh, produced a report that said, please, well, that was entitled, Please Write to Me. So it was a, a specific piece uh, about how uh, medical communication should be written to patients and how best mm-hmm. uh, to yeah. do that, incorporating many of the things that, that, that you b- both have said. I work at the GP as a clinical coder, and we also we always receive letters from secondary care um, yeah, it would be like a specialty referrals or a like an optician or optician, something like that. And yeah, I think um, Caridad, the point that you raised is so important about who is it for. Because not pointing any specialties out, but ophthalmologists, uh, for example, they just write in jargon. It's just letters. Like, I don't know what it means. So luckily, I have the luxury of um, System One. So it's just a system where you put in the codes and then it translates what it is. But what if? The patient doesn't have system one at home, so they don't have no idea what it's what the letter is about. But it's about the health, and they're copied into them, and they have no idea what the letter is about. I suppose we could then we should start thinking about um, the way the NHS and IT systems work, because <laughs> because um, Ashley raised a good point. Like we should be writing to patients, and I, I think the main audience should be the yeah. patients. Mm. And I kind of feel like if a general practitioner is part of the health workforce, right? what's like shouldn't they just be able shouldn't the records be yeah. automatically linked like mm. why, oh. it, why, why this is, is a whole pat other topic then? this is gonna why is pat sitting in an office coding something <laughs> yeah. that someone could have mm. just put on a system and it just yeah. goes directly to we the do. gp that yeah this person had an appendectomy we do have an episode day. about nhs it and they right. we, we delved into it a bit yeah. about why why that currently doesn't happen and why it probably I should. Can hear Chidera's voice in my head. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is an issue. I mean, the number of times parents of children I look after sit and say, oh, we've seen so-and-so and such-and-such such at another hospital. Sometimes it's an NHS mm-hmm. facility and sometimes it's not an NHS facility. Um, and, 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 and they're always somewhat surprised when I say, well, I, unless they write to me specifically, I don't have access to that. Um, and it, it does affect uh, doing, you know, your best for the patient and doing joined up care uh, w- without without any doubt um, it is tricky 
Um, but there are um, moves uh, forward with the IT. So, for example, one of the uh, one of the biggest children's hospitals in the, in, in the south of the country, uh, Great Ormond Street, I believe, have an app which is, I think, called MyGOS. Uh, there's another uh, TLA for you. Uh, but they, um, um, or they're sometimes known as GOSH, which would be the, the, the acronym rather than the abbreviation. But anyway, they um, have an app where parents can access the healthcare records and letters particularly and results for their children, which is immensely helpful because, you know, some of the children we look after with very complex conditions uh, that need that tertiary specialist input. Um, and, 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 you know, we can then access with the parents you know, they can say, oh, I've got the letter, I've got the latest results, I can send them to you. Very empowering for parents to feel that they're supporting, helping, you know, uh, uh, care uh, in, uh, in that situation, in partnership, because they're often cut out of this medical communication that, that we have. And even if letters are copied to them, the letter is about their child, but not to them specifically, necessarily. They're often to a GP or another professional, uh, and they're copied in. They're sort of looking in on care rather than being involved in it. Uh, I, 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 would, I, I would suggest that they felt, feel very much happier being involved in the care in that way uh, rather than feeling maybe uh, somewhat on the periphery of it. Definitely. Well, yeah, language matters. And as we highlighted by using language that's easily understood, we can provide safe, effective and patient-centered care. Well, and that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to hear more from us, please subscribe to Shout Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag SharpScratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in future episodes. It's also really helpful if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other students to find a show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.